Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. All right, everybody. It's November. We are, at least locally here, at the height of our archery season. The rut has officially kicked off. There's bucks moving everywhere. Pretty exciting stuff. Some people are in the office. Some people are out in the office in their tree stands as we speak. Just back from the mountains. Yeah. Paul's yeah, just, just back, back from the mountains. Actually, I didn't even get to hear about your hunt yet, you so I'm pumped no. to hear about that. No. I don't don't even tell me. Not in Wisconsin, being that you mentioned mountains. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, uh, Eric and I actually found a... Uh, a dead buck the other day. We actually don't know how or why it met its demise, but it kind of prompted uh, the topic of today's discussion, which is difficult blood trails or blood trailing in general, maybe. Yeah. Definitely a lot yeah. going on there. A lot of person, you know, a lot of information, good stuff to know. Man, I tell you what, I've learned something from every deer that I've trailed. But yeah, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Like I said, we don't know how that deer died, but you know, definitely potentially was hit and lost by a Looks like there was an arrow wound in it yeah. after looking at that first photo that we got of it. Which is pretty crazy, too, because it, from the location of that wound, doesn't look entirely bad. Yep. At all. No, Like not. it should have been a fatal yeah. shot. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of tricky. Whoever that was, if that is what happened, pretty bum dude because that yeah. was a nice buck. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So blood trails, blood trails is an interesting thing. To me, where would you guys, as more experienced hunters, where would you where would you rank that on, um, like the tracking of the blood trail after the kill? Like, that's a topic that you don't see, that doesn't get as much of the limelight. Is that fair to say? Probably not as exciting as some of the other stuff, but it's a, it is definitely a key thing. And yeah, and, it's uh, extremely key. Anybody that hunts, I mean, a lot of times later, you are going to be following a blood trail. When I've out. when I've watched like shows or videos or things like that, or, or when you see photos, it's kind of like the tracking or like the of the buck, like finding the deer or whatever, shooting it, and then gutting it out. But you missed that. Kind of skipping trail. that. Inter- they kind of skipped that. There, yeah. But there's a lot of interesting pieces there. We've talked about some of them in the office, and uh, we have some interesting stories here amongst all of us as well, I'd say, as far as tracking blood trails go. Yep, yep. Well, I'm sure. You know, there's, there's so many things that go into it, right? And I think we'll probably get there through this discussion, but what was the animal shot with? You know, was it a rifle? Yep. Was it a muzzleloader? Was, was, it a, was it a bow? You know, Because yep. they're all going to kill in different ways. They might leave different True. types of blood trails. Let, let me just kick it off here with a question, just yeah, because it got? seems like there's no awesome way to enter into this besides just dive in. So my question might be out of order, but I'm just going to ask this. Now, we were discussing a while back, like, how long to wait before starting to track a blood trail? And that conversation I found to be very interesting. It was actually kind of weird to me to hear that, because in my head, and I think to maybe another one of the more inexperienced hunters, you think like, oh, you shot that thing. Like you just go after it, right? He's laying there dead. Yeah. Yeah. Like what are you doing? Why are you waiting around? I've seen, you know, sometimes where people shoot it and they're like, yeah, we're going to go home, get some dinner real quick. And then we'll come back out and we'll try and pick up that blood trail. It's like, what? Yeah. (laughs) Don't get that. There's a thing right there. You just shot at it. Like, don't you, but so 
what's going on there? Like, why? And what determines? Do you wait a couple of minutes? Do you wait a couple of hours? Do you? Yeah. Like, I think what's I think going Mark, on? Mark said it best. It depends on what you use it for, or what you use to attempt the harvest. If it's an, a bow, common practice to you know after the shot wait for an hour or two or more, depending on you know your confidence in the shot or where it was or or what you had shot. Before. Do you just kind of know um, how your shot was? That's part of it. Yeah. Part yeah. part of it would be, you know, part of that whole picture is is when you shoot is really being conscious of where you think you hit that animal. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that sight picture, follow-up, whether it's a bow or a gun, you should, after you shoot, have a pretty good feeling where you, how that shot went, how the shot broke, you know, where it, where it impacted. That's almost like the very first beginning step to all of this and yeah. you know and then like ryan said archery hunting it's definitely sort of traditional to to wait a period of time you know you're sitting in that tree and you definitely want to track something i mean your instinct is to go right after it but waiting is usually the better better plan well yeah there's so many weird things there because as we've discussed before like ryan you've mentioned it for example antelope right like you don't want to like a lot of people give antelope a bad rap but in some ways People think it's because, oh, well, maybe they, they don't get it on an ice soon enough, right? Or get it in a, like, skin it out and all that stuff. Do that soon enough. So then to think about, like, letting something go for an hour or two, it's almost like, why are you letting it go like that? That is a tough one. I, I think you'd have to look also at, like, the terrain and the, like, geographically mm-hmm. where you're at. So to the, year. to the bow hunter who would take a shot and then wait, usually it's going to be because he or she doesn't have line of sight on the okay. animal you can't see it so like when i when i hunt western states you know if you take an animal and it, it doesn't drop at the shot if it continues on you can typically watch it for a good long while and and i don't know i would like to ask the question to to a western bow hunter who hunts say prairie mule deer or prairie antelope or prairie whitetails if you if you take an animal do you wait out there or do you observe and pursue great question uh in the woods though i i think it's it's more because you don't have sight on the animal you know, at the shot or just immediately after the shot that you give it time to explore. Well, it's really, it's really the same out west, too. Yeah. You know, you like you said, though, you may have the opportunity in open country to watch that animal mm-hmm. at a longer distance and, you know, hopefully you'd see it expire. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, you know, if you're in, in, in trees or yeah. slopes or something like that, you're really in the same scenario. Certainly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. kind of comes back to, you know, bows killing by bleeding out rather than shock and destruction and they just you know, mm-hmm. likely are going to take longer, although not necessarily. Right. I mean, a good double lung arrow hit is pretty lethal, pretty right. fast. You right. know, you yep. could you could very easily see an animal expire within seconds of a, a really good bow shot. I mean, so. you d- you definitely can, but you know, even on a really good bow shot, I mean, I know at least for myself, all if like you said, if you don't have line of sight in that, on that animal, even if I think it's just the absolute best shot I've ever made in my life. I'm still waiting yep, that hour. Yeah, me too. As soon as as soon as you've lost sight of the animal, yeah, it's it's probably time to plan and sit yeah. there for. A little Is that bit. hard? Yes. Oh, very yes. tough. Okay. Yeah, especially on a big animal, you're like every instinct you want to go chase right after that. Yep. Thing. It's the excitement of the the animal that you've just taken. You know, you just took a trophy animal, or you know, however you scale trophy, but it's the anticipation of did I put an ethical shot on it. Now what's happening? Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the doozy uh, for me anyway. But um, yeah. And you know, another thing with waiting to, especially when you have, like Paul was talking about how archery equipment kills quite literally, 
is different than a rifle. And if we really boil it down, it's all technically asphyxiation, I guess, because we're starving the brain of oxygen. Yeah. But it's just different with a bow. A friend of mine had hit a, a whitetail, what we thought was really good. We didn't have any video footage of it. But at the, at the impact site, we covered the arrow. The arrow had the, you know, quote, right kind of blood on it. We found the right kind of hair all around, and there was buckets of, of blood at the site. I mean, it was like, well, that thing is going to be 10 yards from here. But he immediately got out of his stand. Like, he shot it. He watched it. It disappeared over a knoll maybe 20 yards in front of him, and he, like, jumped out of his stand hmm. to go find this. He ended up bumping it very shortly after he had seen it disappear, and he got out of his stand. Off it took, and we tracked that thing till the next morning. And by all rights, like it should have been dead. So pushing an animal before it's ready to expire, depending on the shot, can can kind of supercharge them with an adrenaline boost. It absolutely that, does. Yeah. That defies yeah. like physiology and biology on how something should have expired due to the condition that it's in, and it took off. We never did find that deer. So wow. when you when you let them go there for a while, uh, the hope the hope is that they'll just kind of yeah make their way to a. What are you hoping for? They bed. Yeah, and if they, they don't if they don't see something coming after him immediately, you know, you think about from that animal's perspective, he knows something hit him. He doesn't really know what. Something poked him, jabbed him, shocked him, you know, and they they immediately run. But if they don't sense immediately that something's coming after him, a lot of times, you know, if they're if they're wounded and they're feeling bad and they don't have a sense of something coming right behind them, they're going to lay up fairly quickly, hmm. you know, and that's the goal with all of this is to let that animal lay up. And then hopefully bleed out without going into the mode that, you know, that mm -hmm. Ryan was talking about where they kind of get that, that supercharge of adrenaline and all of a sudden they can run another five miles just on, you Oof. know, on that. Well, not only can they, you know, run quite a distance, but if they have laid down, those wounds can clot, they can yep. clog a little that bit, too. you know, or yeah, I should say, you know, too. like kind of the entrance and the exits where you might be getting a blood trail, yep. all of a sudden, you know, you don't have dry, that trail to follow dry, yeah. or, you know, more limited. The clotting thing is a really good point because I had a situation very similar to, to what your buddy had, only it was a terrible sh sh I mean, it was only an inch off on my part, but I I shot at a deer with my bow, hit him right in the, the leg bone, forms that joint right in the shoulder. Oh, yeah. Completely broke the deer's leg. And that was a case where I wanted to get on that deer right away because I knew that deer instantly went from four legs to three legs. And now I want to keep them bleeding. So I don't want them to lay down and I don't want that to clot up. So that was a deal where we tracked the deer all night and just kept bumping them. You know, he'd bed down, we'd bump them up again. And we kept doing this series of that until the next day. He, he was totally exhausted. We found him in a CRP field and I was able to sneak up and get another arrow in him. There's a, another total long story after that shot, but that deer ended up going just under two and a half miles from point of impact to recovery. Jeez. And a lot of that was because we were staying on him. I mean, pitch black, following up. He'd we would know where he'd be bedded, and we'd bump him up again. And it was. What? Did you uh, did, in the process of that? Did you have an idea where that hit? Where you know what was going on with yep. the hit? Yeah. So that's, it was a, you know. it, it was a unique situation where you know we always talk about like sometimes a bad shot, even if it's twenty inches off you know, could be in the femoral artery. You're, t you're two feet off from where your point of aim is, but you kill that deer immediately or mm -hmm. whatever oh, it is. Yeah. But in this situation, I was three inches, maybe not even inch and a half off and put the arrow in the, in the deer's shoulder, breaking its leg, but not harming any vital organs. 
now we're talking about a deer that probably isn't going to die because of that shot. But then mm. that's why we're you know trying to keep him on his yeah, feet, right? What kind right. of what kind of blood were you getting off that wound? Like yeah. what were you guys earlier, finding? You know while you're keeping him moving. Yeah. Earlier, Ryan said the right kind of blood, which I highlighted because I yeah thought good, that was an interesting thing point. to say. Yep. Well, going off like right kind of blood, I think all you guys would agree. You know, the ideal shot is going to be a double lung or a heart shot. And you're going to be seeing bubbles in that blood. Nice, Sing- bright, foamy-looking blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bubbles, is that just because it's near the oxygen yep. factory? Yep. Coming, coming mm-hmm. through the lungs, getting air mixed in with it. Yep. So this was, in this case, the leg shot deer was a very bright red, like, muscle kind of blood. So, like, if, you, you know, if, you, if you've ever cut your finger or whatever, you know, you might have just a really bright red kind of blood. That's essentially what we were finding on this. And we didn't, that was our primary source or visual aid in finding that deer was keeping him bleeding so we didn't want him to lay down and let that wound clog up so we just wanted to keep him going all that blood was obviously running down its leg which is now dragging so its motor skills are impacted at this point so now a leg that would traditionally be maneuvering through brush is now just being dragged so we were able to find where that leg was dragging along through stuff, and okay. and we were able to find, you know, where we, it was honestly one of the easier blood. It was a walk along blood trail, even given the air only went in about an inch and a half because it stopped immediately as soon as it impacted bone. Wow, but, yeah. that's interesting. That is interesting. Kudos to you on the recovery, because I, I, I don't say a that's lot of not, that's not an easy trail. Yeah, a lot of people there. wouldn't wouldn't be adamant, or they'd look at that if they if you had recovered the the arrow, the shaft, and the broadhead at first, and, and thought, ah, well, that was not fair. Yeah, it was. I guess kudos on that part, but then it ended up taking a, a terrible turn the next day when I did get that second arrow in him. All I could see was the top of his rack. Wasn't able to get in as close as I would have liked because he was still fairly alert, you know, in his bed. All I could see was the tips of his tines. So I glassed him, found his throat patch, and just held just under his throat patch, let the arrow go, hit right where I was aiming. The deer got up out of its bed, and that was the last I saw it for another week. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, and oh, and we, we looked for him for for two and a half days. I mean, we covered ground like you wouldn't believe, and mentally exhausting versus and physically exhausting. It got to the point where it's impacting my work and stuff, so I had to go back to work at some point. And lo and behold, I got luckier than probably any, you know, deer hunter I know has ever gotten in terms of luck. A local fishing guy found the deer on the bank of this lake that I was hunting near nearby and somehow was able to find me through social media wow. and told me so that wild. he found my deer. That's oh, crazy. It was, it was incredible. Huh. So it was a sinking feeling knowing that the deer was dead out there and we had essentially given up. So, like, that's why I'm, you know... It was kudos that first night, but then I internally it's almost a deer that I'm not proud of because at the end of it you had I had to give up at some point. But to give up and know that you have a dead animal out there is probably the worst feeling. Oh, as a it's, hunter, yeah. it's tough. Yeah, I think yeah. We, we've all been there. I yep. mean, if you hunt, it's that's In you, know, you strive to avoid yeah. that, but it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not later. you're not out there just to kill something. Yeah, absolutely right? not. It's, it's way be. way way more than yep, that. Yep, absolutely. In fact. If you do just go out there and just kill something and you don't retrieve it, that that's, that is like terrible. One waste, yeah. Horrible. Yep. Yeah, it's not only not the right thing to do, it's illegal. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. Now, one thing one thing that Ryan mentioned earlier as well was the right kind of hair. So I can only imagine that that when you say the right kind yeah. of hair, you're just talking about like that's the hair. When you look at a, When you look at a deer, it's a bunch of brown hair, right, with an occasional patch of, you know, maybe some mm-hmm. white or something like mm-hmm. that. But like, what kind of hair are you looking for? It's going to be species specific too. So okay. sometimes that statement works and sometimes it doesn't. But if you look at the vital 
region of a whitetail, you know, going up the side of its ribs or whatever, it's going to have that, that very stereotypical hair that you're talking about, that medium weight brown coat. Towards the belly, you're getting white hair. And mm-hmm. then towards the armpit area, which is typically just a little bit above that, for especially for an archer, kind of the hot spot, you get a longer wispy hair. It looks almost like it's a whisker of the armpit. Hmm. And that white hair and that side hair. Leg hair is very short. It's generally a different color. So you don't want that. You don't want to see an excessive amount of white hair because that typically means a low shot. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, it, it, it takes a lot. And I think a lot of tracking in general, and not, not tracking in the, in the term like we head out into the woods to find a game animal, but tracking after the shot takes an understanding of the, the quarry that you're chasing and then a little bit of anatomy and physiology, uh, a little bit of ballistics and a little bit of, I don't know what you'll call it, terrain science or trying to understand yep. how an animal will manipulate terrain for its benefit if it's wounded. And so the, the right kind of hair, the right kind of blood, that's a, that's a big thing. That's a real thing. So pay attention to how your critter is built and, and where you're going to find that kind of hair. And, and it'll help you create a map of yeah. what happened yeah. at the shot, the point where you couldn't see it. Hmm. Yeah. I think another thing, you know, is is right after the shot, understanding being able to read an animal's body language. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. if if you do have, like, we talked about liver, just in our discussions about why you would wait versus, you know, head up the blood trail right away. Traditionally, if you have, like, a liver or a gut shot deer, or any game animal for that reason, for that matter, as soon as it's shot in that area, it gets sick to its stomach, kind of hunches up, just looks. Tucks its tail. Yep. And it might kind of slink off slowly. Whereas, like, something that's absolutely ten-ringed, you know, shot, you know, in the longer heart, that thing's just, boom, out of there like a bat out of heck, you know? Mm -hmm. So, Hmm. okay, understanding that body language, I think, goes a long way for guys, too. That's an interesting way to describe it, but it is... If you haven't seen it, then maybe it's a little bit more difficult. But they do, like, if you hit a deer a little far back, and I guess I'm probably talking a little bit more, you know, bow hunting right now. Yeah, yeah. But they will go, and if you are able to watch them stop, you know, they slow down. They Mm -hmm. might hunch up a little bit, and then they just, like, walk off, you know, like you said, just kind of sick looking. And just just slowly walk off. And, And, again, I mean, you know, maybe beating a dead horse here or just reiterating something. I mean, that's definitely a sign to say, look, I got to wait a while here, you know, Probably a fatal hit, Yep. but, you know, and wait a while and like we talked about, even back out, back out for a number of hours and try to back out slowly and not make a lot of noise because even that can, you know, if that deer is bedded close nearby, you definitely don't want to get them up because you, you, you might have a really good chance to, to find them if you don't yep. bump that deer. In fact, I had that happen to me. A couple years ago, I made, you know, not a great shot on a deer and, you know, case in point, listen to your your own advice, right? And I knew better, but I hit a buck a little far back. I was following some blood and I really actually hadn't gone that far. I thought I was totally in a safe zone. I I was actually planning on backing out, but I just wanted to (laughs) look. Couldn't resist. One peak. Well, I just wanted a little bit more information, you know, and I went. I probably only went, you know, 50, 60 yards in a very open landscape, but he had bedded actually just right on the edge where it started to get thick. And, and I got that deer up and I ended up not finding it. Yeah. And, you know, a little plug for the optics. A lot of time when, when I'm bow hunting and that situation hits, you know, one of the things you can do anyway while you're sitting there initially is you can use your binoculars, mm-hmm. you know, and of course, the, you know, when you make a shot, bow or gun, you're, you know, you're really striving to see where you hit. And then the next thing you're trying to do is you're trying to watch 
paid really good attention to following that animal with your eyes absolutely as far as you can till the very last mm-hmm. instant and then, and then very carefully mentally marking that spot. Mm. I mean, really closely as, as best you can exactly where you last saw a sight of that animal. Mm. But then the next thing I'll do, you know, if it's bow hunting, for example, and you're sitting there with a bow and you know you're going to wait, is I'll take my binos out and, you know, you're, you're looking just like Mark trying to initially track a little bit. You're looking carefully and you can sometimes, you can, if you know, if you get a really good blood trail, you know, double lung head and they're shooting blood out all over the place. A lot of times you can see that with your binos. Mm-hmm. And then if it's an arrow, you know, I'm usually trying to spot that knock and see if I can see the knock sitting around there and oh, yeah. in the dirt for a pass through shot. But it's something you can do, you know, anyway, you know, you, you're not going to spook them then. You've got a few minutes to kind of look around and yeah. mark stuff. And Well, yeah, you know, and that's actually, I mean, I'd done all that with that deer. I actually, initially, I thought the shot was a lot better than it turned out to be. And I was, I was glassing for my arrow and I couldn't find it. And I was glassing for the blood trail and I couldn't find it, which was making me a little, and actually the indicator was though, I saw that deer hunch a little bit, tuck his tail and walk yep. off slowly. I'm like, what he's doing isn't matching what, what I kind of had mentally of what had taken place there. And so I did. I think I waited, I know, a minimum of an hour, possibly even an hour and a half. And then I got down and I found the arrow. And, I mean, we can get into that too. But yeah. I was like, then I really knew that the shot wasn't what I thought it was. Yeah. Right. And, again, listen to your own advice. But I really hadn't gone very far at all. And that deer had bedded really, really yeah. close by. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So when you have, when you have potentially – you know, low shot or gut shot or something like that. Well, one, hopefully you saw the shot hit. Mm-hmm. Two, you start picking up on some some cues. Three, uh, like, does the blood, I can only imagine, look different? Probably is it yeah. darker when you hit maybe like a... It's, I mean, you'll find stomach matter sometimes oh, if yeah. you do that's, have that. And, and yeah, of course, that's the thing you, you sort of least want to see is yep. that, that gut yeah. material and stomach material. Or you find, say, you find an arrow and you can see it's got the, the, and know, smell the it. gut residue on it or you smell it. Yep. Right? Okay. You know, then, just, then you like know it's a definite way. smell? Oh, yeah. It'll smell like, you know, anyone who's, who's uh, field-dressed an animal and poked the stomach or poked the entrails and has that instant whiff of... You know, that body fluid, that's what you would be smelling on an arrow. Or, you know, if you find, say, it's a gun gunshot and you find that on a leaf, you smell the leaf. Yeah. So, And that's generally going to be one where you're going to wait longer, yeah. too. That's yeah. where you're going to see it. It's inevitably fatal. Like, it's going to yep. kill the animal. I yeah. Mean, I don't, I don't yeah. think you could. I'd be curious to see if anybody's ever gut shot a, a critter to actually hit the stomach or hit small intestine and it didn't kill the animal. It's just going to take time. And that, that is, you know, the hard part about it. But uh, sometimes they don't bleed very well either. Yeah, right. There's, there's a remarkable, remarkably low amount of blood that can come out of those. Externally. Yeah. You got to yeah. know that if something gets hit yeah. like that, I mean, it's probably yeah. bleeding a lot internally. But Yep. You know, and Jim, to jump back to your question about, you know, wanting to recover animals as quickly as possible and, and not having a, a wounded animal or dead animal laying out there for a long period of time before you're able to, you know, to dress them and take care of them. The thing with a gut shot, though, that happens is you make that shot and that animal goes and lays up. It's not as though it, it died there and then you're waiting two hours to come and track it. It's, it's alive okay. most of that time. I mean, if you could time it, ideally, you'd get to the animal about the same time that it expired. But it's not, you know, you could wait many hours and that animal is still alive. It's not, you're really not in danger at that point of losing meat. So the, the key is that... 
blood is still flowing through its tissue. It's, it's circulating and, through the body, right? It's not, the meat isn't going bad while the animal is sitting there wounded. It's not, uh, you know, it's probably not doing wonders for the quality of the meat that you're going to get. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, one thing that could potentially is if you do start bumping it and that adrenaline rush, doesn't that have oh, yeah. potentially an effect on the... Yeah, it does. And and that's, you know, in that scenario where an animal's gut shot, and like Ryan said, it, it, it is going to die. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. But the difference is if you if you begin to follow that animal and you supercharge it with adrenaline and now know something is after it, then that animal can run for, for miles yet, even yeah. though he's mortally wounded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that crud is going to get all in its tissue and things oh, like yeah. that, right? The yep. adrenaline. Yeah. I mean, that stuff doesn't yeah. taste good. Yeah. Yeah. Or it can it can make that gamey yeah, certainly, flavor. Certainly. Well then, you know, I mean they're correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, a deer that's shot in that location is dying almost because they septic. You know, septic. Yeah. Yes. Like, you know, we're talking oh. about the blood. There isn't in that region, there isn't you hit the heart, it's gonna bleed yep. a lot internally and externally. You hit the lungs, it's gonna bleed a lot internally and externally. But yep. they're just there's less going on right there. So yeah, I mean those, that does make you know we're talking about difficult blood trails. Those yeah, are those are the toughest. And then yeah. what do you yeah. do then too? So let's say you get something like that and you got to wait a while. Now the one thing when you guys found that buck that a, another hunter had shot and obviously didn't recover is obviously coyotes got to it. Yep. Yep. Is there anything that you can do to to prevent that from happening? Or I, I mean, you're just. It's like asking if there's anything you, yeah. you could do, do to prevent nature from happening. You know, right. so it's I, luck of the draw. Fingers crossed, right? Yep. And you're that, usually talking of you know for something like predators to find an animal. It usually takes a while. Takes a I mean, that's time. usually a, a longer stretch than what even if you're waiting a period of time to begin blood trailing. Okay. Most of the time, it's going to take predators, you know, a, a day or so to get on something. Okay, gotcha. And that can depend regionally too. Yeah, yeah. It could, yeah. It, you yeah. know, there there are areas where you might you might hunt in grizzly country, and there might be yeah. A, yeah. a grizzly on it much faster than that. My, so my hunting partner shot a whitetail uh, two years ago, just after opening light, dropped it where it stood, and it was kind of behind some brush. He had a, another tag, and in the time it took him to kind of settle his things and look around for a doe, and then decide, you know what, I'm just going to go get it out. The coyotes had moved on it, unbeknownst to him, and consumed a large portion of it. And we're talking about 20 minutes. And how far away wow. was that? Like 135 yards. It was just bizarre. Yeah, that's, Dude, a, those that's, things are stealthy. that's an anomaly. Yeah, yeah that's a definitely Those things are stealthy, yeah. man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've never heard of something happening that fast. And like you said, it, it is a gamble, depending yeah. on the region yeah. or just whatever. A buddy of mine in Nebraska, though, his, his boy shot a deer in the evening, and they went back the next morning. And he sent me a picture of it, and it was basically a skeleton. I, I'd never Jeez. seen anything like. Uh, I mean, it, it was like you, you would have thought it had been picked clean over months, right? You know. And then other times, you can leave them over overnight without incident. It's a nice, cool day. You go recover it, and you know, butcher it, and everything's good to go. So uh. we talked a lot about like you know liver shots and gut shots. I'd be curious to get your guys' thoughts on like single lung hits. You know, because I think that's a liver shot and a gut shot. You have a dead animal every time, albeit it's probably going to take eight hours, you know, full day, whatever it is. But a single lung hit, that's a, you know, not a bad shot. But I think that's something that I've personally have seen a deer live for months after a single lung hit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just would be curious to see if 
I it, wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if they can, you know, and that's something in, in my early days of bow hunting, I used to sit way up high in trees, mm-hmm. way high, you know, probably too high, higher than I should have been. And so I had a number of shots that went down at very steep angles mm-hmm. through deer and, and I'm sure were single lung hits and yep. animals that ultimately I did not recover. Yep. That initially left a great blood trail, mm-hmm. you know, the blood looked right. It was nice, foamy, bright colored blood, mm-hmm. lots of it, and then very quickly peters out though and mm-hmm. then that animal covers a lot of ground and yeah. you know so yeah i think that does happen and I, it wouldn't surprise me if they do occasionally survive mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. well paul they can definitely cut you know for what what happens on them is it looks like a really good lethal vital hit but if mm-hmm. they if you know if, if it's only through one lung they can go and go and go and yeah go, especially yeah. if you you know, you see what looks like a good blood trail, and you and you think you're on, and you start trailing it, and you bump them, and then mm-hmm. psh, they're gone. Yep. And Paul, you touched on something that I think is really important. Is you know, you're talking about being high and yep. high in the tree and that steep angle. You know, and I thought maybe for some of the folks out there who may have not be super familiar, like you know, what what might cause a single lung hit? Yeah. You know, like so yeah. you got that steep steep angle. Yeah. That's where a, you know that. Yeah. Or even you know you might it could be just you're at a more typical height, but it's an instance where that deer is coming right under the tree and you're mm-hmm. just taking a sharp down mm-hmm. and, you know, and then you just catch one. Yeah. yeah. Or those quartering two, quartering away angles. Yeah. Even if you are yeah. at a good height, that can be all it takes to punch one lung and not the other. I mean, the, the situation that I mentioned when I kind of brought this up is a couple of years ago, I had a neighbor who shot a buck at a quartering two angle and hit one lung. I mean, Instantly, there was, you know, there was great blood right away. And I mean, he even waited a couple hours before he picked up the trail. He went in, started tracking it, jumped the deer after, you know, maybe 200 yards of following the blood trail. And, you know, this, this was a whitetail in, in an area where I had cameras out, my neighbor had cameras out. I had a bunch of pictures of this deer, as did he. Long story short, he wasn't able to recover it within like three days or whatever. And then he asked me if I had checked any of my cameras. So I did, and I still had pictures of the deer. Fast forward another month, and he this was right around Thanksgiving. He shot the deer November 3rd or something like that. So fast forward a few more weeks, he asked me if I was going to be around over the Thanksgiving holiday. I told him I wasn't. He said, do you mind if I go check the property that you hunt to see if that deer's dead in a ditch? And I said, yeah, by all means. First, let me just go check my cameras. And I went in to go check my trail cameras that day. And sure enough, that deer was still alive, moving around, you know, in daylight. Fast forward another month and a half, I killed that deer with a gun mm. in the muzzleloader season. And when I field dressed it, it's, it's right lung. So the side that he shot it on was like, it looked like smoker's lung. Like when you see, you know, those diagrams on TV mm-hmm. or whatever, this thing was shriveled up like a raisin. It just looked dead. The other lung was, you know, looked totally normal. And uh, that was a... That's very interesting. I, I've, you know, I'm sure we can post them in the show notes. I have a trail camera photo of that deer standing in front of my camera with the arrow wound front and center in the frame. And if you'd look at that shot, you'd be like, how is that deer standing there? And Crazy. it's un- unreal. That's fascinating that to me. A, it's just, an interesting story. You know, I mean, I've definitely heard of deer and elk getting hit in one lung and mm-hmm. surviving. Or, you know, I mean, I've heard of guys even recovering, like, broadheads. Well, like, I've, in I've, kind of like I've that encased lung. many, many elk and found embedded broadheads right. many times. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's, wow. it's, it's almost to the point of if we killed a good bull out in, in Idaho where I guided at, the odds were 
fairly high that you were going to recover a broadhead in really? them. Yeah, it was amazing, amazing. Wow. But this, but many times I should say that that wasn't necessarily in a vital zone. That might be okay, right? You know, in a muscle, in a shoulder, in a yeah. hindquarter. Yeah, you know where what you're talking about is right through a lung and yeah. collapsing a lung. That's kind of interesting. Well, and not only that, but just like the angle that you describe it, it's like okay, yeah, I got one lung. It was a quartering two shot. I obviously by that that's what happened, right? But then the arrow oftentimes isn't stopping there, mm-hmm. or maybe it did stop there. I would have assumed that you got, you know, guts and possibly even liver, which, mm-hmm. I mean, that's for sure. A dead deer, dead yeah. Deer. yeah. Yeah. No, it was an incredible, incredible you, situation. Did you examine any of the other organs at all? Yeah, everything was covered. So I processed, you know, the deer myself. And when I, you know, removed the hide and everything, his fat had turned into like a yellow mustard brown kind of color. Yep. He he had no fat on him, you know, as like on his, whereas you would shoot a deer, you'd expect it to be covered in this yep. wall of fat. He had nothing on him. The little bit he did have was kind of covered in this mustard goo looking stuff. And, you know, his, his other, his other lung looked entirely normal, but that arrow, basically what it had done is it had entered, I don't know if it stopped on the opposite shoulder because it was a far forward shot it wasn't you know far back whereas if it would have been back it probably would have got more of the opposite lung and resulted in a dead deer this was kind of where it just went forward clip probably that offside lung that he was shooting at arrow stopped or, or you know in this case it actually ended up it stopped in him broke off and then months later it ended up passing through on the opposite side it was a Totally wild scenario. Wow. Okay, gotcha. What's going on there? You think Ryan? You were just you were saying mm-hmm, about the yellowy, mustardy looking stuff. Yeah. What, what so do you like, think that is? Is that like an infection or partially? Yeah. And then it's the animal also processing what it has for reserves. Right. That animal wasn't going to make it through the winter. Correct. Mm-hmm. Oh, so it's yeah. it's essentially feeding on its own fat. Yeah. Correct. Wow. Yeah. So to, to nutrient. Yep. Nu- nutriize to, itself. I, yeah, that's the scientific term. Mm. Nut- nut- <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can't even say it. Nut- nutriize. Nut- uh, yeah. I think it's My also bad. a Sort of what happens, <laughs> you know, as deer go through a winter, though, that's, you know, when they get into the middle of the winter and there's really not much food and they, they sort of go through wintertime for wild animals is really just a long period of slow starvation. And they hope that, gotcha. you know, their fat reserves carry them through until there's food supply again in the spring. So that buck was obviously sort of going through an early withdrawal of all his yeah. his reserves. And, and you think the you yellowy know. stuff was kind of like an infection or something? Um, it could be. It could also be if the animal's depositing like a, a toxicity or some some sort of toxin in its adipose tissue hmm. as, as like a, a way to flush it out. I don't know. I'd have to look into that a little bit. That is a little bizarre that it would turn from that that kind of classic white cake marble look to, yeah. to that yellow. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it could just be that, you know, that's that's red blood cells redepositing. Yeah. Well, it might, you know, it might well be, I don't know, I haven't, I haven't done it, but if you, you know, if you had the opportunity to to cut up a deer, say in, in March or April, they might might very well all look like that, possibly, but that's just sort of a, you know, a remains of the fat reserves being taken down to to low levels. You you know, that's a good point too. I mean, adipose tissue is always exemplified as yellow. So you think about fat, you always think about like yellow. So maybe it's like as it shrinks down and it diminishes, that's just what you're left with. How was the meat on it? I mean, the meat was fine. It yeah. was, so the meat that we didn't have in a brine or didn't marinate, it was a little gamey. And I'm sure a yeah. lot of that was because of, you know, we talked about testosterone flowing through these, or uh, not testosterone, adrenaline 
And, you know, obviously this deer experienced that once for a very long period of time and then went through the rut um, and was trying to, you know, to your point, probably doing a slow starvation. And that's why the deer was exhibiting so much daylight activity. It was feeding heavily. It was like one of the first deer. It was a big mature buck, one of the first deer that would come out in in these fields to to feed. I'm sure. I mean, Edgar Sarr would assume, you know, kind of like we're talking about here, that you know, his body was burning a fair amount of energy mm-hmm. trying to fight off essentially what had happened to him, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you guys mentioned earlier at some point too, and this is, this is all very interesting because I'm not a, I'm not really not much of a bow hunter. I, I, I would like to try it eventually and get mm-hmm. into it. But so you you find an arrow. So I've heard that a couple of times. Now mm-hmm. you shoot an arrow at a deer and, you know, hopefully you stick it. But then later on, you find it, so it, it's essentially just fallen out, or passes through, mm-hmm. or passes yeah. through. Okay. So what does that what does that indicate? I guess does it like if you find your arrow, are you kind of like, oh, my game plan has changed? It could, or yeah, or definitely. if you don't find an arrow, then does your is there one well, that's the first, more ideal yeah, than the yeah. other? Or? I mean, the first thing, like typically, you'd see you'd be pretty happy about seeing a pass through mm-hmm. shot. Usually, okay. you know, seeing that arrow there. Like I was telling you, sitting in a tree stand, kind of scanning around and looking. And if I felt the shot was good and I know there was a hit and the deer runs off and I can see the fletch of the arrow over there, I'm feeling pretty good about that shot generally. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't until you get up there and you check that arrow, though you don't really know. You could get a pass-through shot that went right through both lungs and that deer's going to be dead, you know, in 100 yards. But it could also equally be a pass-through in the guts. And then mm-hmm. we're back to what we're talking about here. Uh-huh. But that's where that, the first thing you do, is, you know, as any bow hunter is going to do, is you, you go up and you look at that arrow. And, you're, you know, you're smelling it, as we talked about. You're looking at the color of the blood along the arrow. You're looking at the mm-hmm. color of the hair that's along there. All that stuff, they're all giving you clues about where that hit actually went through. But generally, you know, most often, you know, if you felt the shot was good and it broke nice and everything and a pass-through, I mean, you're feeling pretty good. You're feeling that you probably got a double lung hit on that animal, mm-hmm. and it's, it's going to be dead quickly. You talked about arrows breaking off, and I think that's super interesting because sometimes you'll find an arrow that's broke off that might be broken off right at where the, the broadhead meets the shaft of the arrow. That, to me, means that that arrow impacted a very significant bone immediately as soon as it hit the animal. Now, on the other hand, you might find an arrow that penetrated, you know, a foot or whatever, and maybe it has 8, eight to 12 inches broken off inside that deer, to me, right away, I'm thinking that that arrow went in, impacted a lot of, you know, hopefully vital organs, maybe penetrated and stuck in that opposite side shoulder. Now, mm-hmm. as soon as that deer mm-hmm. retracted its legs to start running away from the shot, Broke. snaps the arrow right there, backside falls out, and then ideally that broadhead is still in that animal doing damage every time it, you know... Ugh. It, it, it is, it is, you know, for anybody who's... <laughs> I just think, you know, I think, you know, I'm kind of a... For, for anybody who's listening to this and, and, and they're thinking like, wow, this is a morbid topic. It kind of is, absolutely, but yeah. this is 100% and totally, completely vital to the success of a, a sportsman or woman. Like, it, this is the inevitability. Mm-hmm. You, have to con, you have to consider these things before right. taking a shot. Right. If you think it's morbid and then you go to the uh, restaurant and eat yeah. a burger, then Correct. You, know, you just got to And, you know, we probably are, <laughs> we're painting, mind. like Ryan said, maybe a little bit of a grim picture about bow hunting here, but it, it should also be fairly said, if you, if you have a good hit with an arrow and you, you, know, you do get that double lung shot, it's, it's actually phenomenal how quickly and humanely that yep. will put mm-hmm. an animal down. It's an, it's unbelievable. I mean, I've I've watched seven hundred pound bull elk 
shot at close range, double lunged with an arrow, and be dead within seconds. I mean, it's just amazing. It's yeah. phenomenally, and, and, and even more so a lot of times, the nature of that hit and the way it works, being a, you know, a sharp-bladed instrument, is there's, I think, a lot of times they don't even realize no. that they've been hit by mm-hmm. something. No. Yeah. So it's not, you know, it's not that every archery kill is going to be this long, drawn-out right. process. Yeah. Of, but, yeah, I mean, but, you talk about kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly, like, you know, this is the ugly, you know, but it's part of it. When on, when on the topic of blood trails, it's yep. typically right. it's where this comes from. Yep. Yeah. And so we, we talked about single lung hits. I, I actually started kind of, kind of what propelled me into rifle reloading for a purpose was a single lung hit resultant from uh, an inappropriate bullet choice used on a whitetail. When I was younger, uh, I decided I was going to use a light caliber cartridge with a bullet that was not well designed for shooting whitetails marketed as explosive results. And, and at the time I was reading a lot of magazines where, where companies said, you want to deposit all this energy in this deer, which I now believe is a total farce. I shot the animal on the shoulder. The bullet exploded effectively. And yeah. I saw what is, and to this day, still the only example of what they have called a flap injury, where you have a crater that occurs uh, just under the, the dermal layer and like the skin pops up. A small piece of jacket passed through the thinnest part of the shoulder blade, the scapula bone, and nicked the lung, deflating it. I found that deer the next day. And that was it for me. It was like, okay, I'm switching to yeah. build. Oh, I, had, I had a very similar. I, I shot a, a bull elk once that I think had exactly that same type of injury. It probably wasn't the best choice of bullet. Obvious impact, initial blood trail, and then we followed that bull for two days and never recovered him. He eventually got into a big bedding area with many dozens of other elk tracks, and, and the ability to track him was gone, and we lost him. But I think that's exactly the what we ran into on that one. When you shoot one with a rifle, generally speaking, well, one, now I'm curious, too, on your thoughts on you know bullet choice and all that stuff, but two... I, do you get a similar blood trail when you shoot it with a rifle? Or, I, I would or say I would it, say it depends on how you place your shots, and so I, I mean sometimes with a rifle you just see it and just drop a, right. A there, lot of right? times with a rifle, I don't get a blood trail. Like depending on how the animal is hit and where it's hit, and where that initial impact site was, I can I mean I can recall a dozen different deer that I've taken an antelope over the years where I don't have exterior blood. It doesn't bleed. It's Sometimes, a lot of time, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of times with a gun, it you know, I think you recover them many times before you yeah. get into the blood trailing yep. part of it, unless it is just a bad hit. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then, but yeah, a lot of times it it takes longer to initially begin to pick up that blood trail with rifle. I've okay. seen that too with with archery equipment. And to credit the way an arrow kills, from the moment that it contacts the animal, it is opening it up. Yeah, and it is, it's usually cutting on at least two faces. And so like a lot of state regulations you'll read, they'll say must have two cutting surfaces, must have a, a cutting diameter of X. And a lot of these broadheads nowadays, if they're a fixed broadhead, they're either a huge bladed double bevel or, you know, they're four blades. And you're, you're creating a pretty traumatic wound channel. And that's why Paul had mentioned earlier, they expire so quickly because it's a lot of trauma. Yeah. And what's really interesting about it, it's a lot of trauma and a lot of times it's not really noticed by the animal. I shot a doe whitetail one time. That I thought I missed her. She kind of jumped at the shot, tail went up. She was doing the head fake, head fake, tip down. I mean, she she made four steps from the time I shot to the time she expired. Hmm. And it was it was just kind of a perfect scenario. But with the rifle, 
you know, if, if you were to shoot an animal in, in the lung area or in the heart area, you're going to get the same blood. You're going to see yeah. that kind of thing. But in, in that case, you're relying on a bullet, which is smaller than a broadhead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're relying on it expanding. Correct. Right? Yep. And shock. Yep. And shock, shock. Just simply mm-hmm. the, the velocity and the, the impact of that bullet hitting at high speed. It's going to yep. mess stuff up, too. Shock and trauma. Yeah. I mean, uh, you might hit the lungs or if you hit a shoulder. You know, all that, you know, I know Brian was just talking about energy, but I mean, a lot of that energy is transferred into the animal, Mm -hmm. and you might have Mm -hmm. hit the lungs, but you shock the spine. You might not have to trail that animal at all. Correct. Interesting. Or, you know, you might hit a shoulder blade, which, you know, is essentially connected to the Mm spine-ish, you know, and you're sending, you know, bullet and bone fragment up in there and, you know, severing that connection, and, and down they go. I thought it was interesting how you talked about how you usually don't get a, much of a blood trail with a rifle, and I've seen that a lot with muzzleloader, with my muzzleloader hunts. I shot a deer a couple of years ago that he was quartering away the bullet, I come to find out, stopped in the offside shoulder, so it didn't, I didn't have a pass through right. with, with a bullet, you know. And uh, basically I was dealing with just a, you know, 50-millimeter diameter hole on the, small entry yeah, on, the, on yeah. you know, one side. Mm-hmm. So I had nothing, and I thought I missed, even though you know I, I was filming my hunts at the time, and I kept watching it back, and I knew I impacted the deer, kept following his tracks in the snow. He went down a hill, and then he didn't actually start ex- bleeding until he started going up that other side, and he was really digging to come uh, up hard. Yeah. And then you could tell blood was coming out of his mouth and off that entry wound, and yeah. he was dead at the top of the yep. hill. You know? Man, that's such a very important thing to bring up, too, is just depending on where the wound is, the type of wound, and the terrain. I mean, mm-hmm. like you said, that deer wasn't bleeding until he started to go uphill, did yeah. you say? Yep, uphill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I had a similar thing with a muzzleloader. The, the biggest whitetail I ever killed, I shot him at 32 yards and double-lunged at the shot. I thought, impossible to have missed at this close a mm-hmm. distance. And the way the animal reacted, and uh, I did give it a little bit of time. I thought, okay, we're just going to wait, you know, see what happens. I got up. I walked, I scoured the ground with snow in front of me. I found no blood. And I, for about two hours, thought how, from like a mathematical or, you know, how did this happen? How did I even miss at this distance the way that everything was set mm-hmm. up? And, and I just kind of started making bigger and bigger circles. And about 70 yards from where I last saw the animal, I saw flecks of blood in the snow. And just before the sun had come up enough to melt it and... I noticed that they were on both sides of the track. Mm-hmm. I indicated, okay, I've got a pass through. And they were considerably like, they were a distance from where that animal's yeah. path was. So then I thought, okay, it's got to be a lung. Just the way that this kind of thing works. It's literally spraying out. I followed it up and 193 yards on my Onyx tracker app, yeah. I found that deer piled up, empty, completely devoid of blood. Yeah. He finally bled Jeez. out. And at the last 20 or 30 yards, he'd, he'd really started to, to give it up. It was slightly high and slightly back, but by all indications, yeah. like when, when I dressed him and, and actually held his lungs in my hands, the slug, I mean, it cut a half-inch hole completely through the center of the lungs. I mean, Crazy. Like, yep, yeah. should have been toast. But, yeah, it's a, it's a doozy. Be patient with blood trails and, and low-velocity projectiles yep. because that, that's a thing. Mark and I ran into that in Missouri last year with a deer that inevitably I lost, and it's a real thing. So, mm. Well, and that was a crazy story, too, because yeah. initially, I'm not sure I've ever seen a deer look hit harder. Yeah. I mean, that deer dropped at the shot, kicking. I think, you know, later we kind of ascertained at least what we think happened. What was it, Neg 25 wind chill? Yeah. 
that night. And we actually jumped that deer the next day following very, very, very little watery blood. If I were a deer, even if I wasn't shot, I think I'd just want to die. I if think, it was that cold, Oftentimes, you know, you want to be like, oh, you know, are you here? Like, oh, no, that, that deer is going to live. I just, I have a hard time actually believing that that deer died. If it Con- could make Considering. It, considering yeah. the blood that we found. You know, I think it was a case where we hit some muscle, shocked the spine. Initially, you know, the animal, you know, dropped upon impact. We followed that deer for probably via tracks and blood. Two miles, yeah, at least. Yep, you couldn't fill a shot glass with how much do- that Jeez, deer. Correct. Thankfully, we had half snow. a shot glass. What, what was really interesting, like Mark said, at the shot, he folded. Like it was, it was like, well, that there, that worked out. And we actually sat on the field because we had another tag to fill, mm-hmm. and we thought, perfect, this is great, no reason to cause alarm. We'll go out, tag the animal, and all this. And we got to the the kill site, and you could see where he'd fallen. And you could see where there was blood, not as much as I would have necessarily mm-hmm. anticipated. But then again, I thought, well, it was an immediate expiration of the animal. He's going to stop pumping. And so you're not going to see a bunch of blood. And after we had gotten about 20 or 30 yards of tracking down, it was obvious he was bleeding from up high, just the way that the blood was like even hitting the snow and interacting with the brush and the trees and only from one side. And so that mm-hmm. kind of began to solidify our suspicions <laughs> as to where it was hit. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so we talked about earlier kind of an understanding of anatomy and physiology when you are trailing and looking at where your blood is on foliage, on branches, on cattails or whatever you're at, and how that blood is on the ground. If it's from a height and it's not a great hit, you're going to see little drops, Right. So the blood is falling long enough that it's not being this big, large glob. It's forming into a droplet and then hitting the ground. And that's exactly what we saw. It looked like you were walking along with a water bottle at, at head height. Mm. Drip, 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 drip. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I was shocked the next day to have bumped that animal after 12 hours of negative 25 plus a bullet wound. And on he went. So, yeah. I mean, that's one of those things that when that does happen, you want to think, oh, you know, maybe he made it. Dude, I have to think that deer made it. That was, yeah, that was something. That was something. I just don't. I mean, heck, I couldn't live through that night <laughs> in a sleeping yeah. bag. Probably. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> All right, I gotta, I gotta ask one that's switching gears a little bit. But we were talking about this podcast beforehand a little bit in relation to hunting public video that mm-hmm. we just seen, actually from Wisconsin, right? Uh, Iowa. Oh, Iowa. Iowa. Okay. Yep. All right, but where they had arrowed a deer. And they went back to track it and ended up finding it and found that it had not expired yet. But it was after legal yep. shooting light. Yep. Or hours. Yep, yep. However you it was at, at night when they found it. At night. Now, that's tough. Mm-hmm. That's a weird one. Because it's right there. And, it, and it, I mean, it wasn't like, they weren't bumping it at that point. I mean, no. it was in rough shape yep. on the ground. But they knew it was still alive. It hadn't expired yet. Like, that's a tough situation because mm-hmm. legally there's nothing you can do about it, but like, yeah, you want to do something. Yeah, about it. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know, like, I don't even know if that's a point of discussion to bring up. Like, what are your guys' thoughts? Because it's sort of like, whatever we say, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. If you, it I mean, if you had a is, chance, right? you could, rules. you could probably call a game warden and get yeah. permission to dispatch it or let them know what was going on. And, mm-hmm. and most often I think they would work with you to yeah. humanely take mm-hmm. care of that animal as, as quickly as possible. Yeah, but that, that is that is a doozy. I, I don't know a lot of hunters that are very fond of killing things. Nope. 
And in myself included, the last thing I want is an animal that is in a situation other than living or in my freezer. And that yeah. in, that in between ground is is really difficult for me. Yep. And and Mark knows he see me crawling through the snow at twenty seven below, looking at little pinpricks of blood, swearing loudly in the woods. But uh, it, yeah, that that's a tough one. That's uh, I well, I know what I would do, and that's that. Yeah, it, it's one of those things. I mean, to your point, that hunters don't like to kill. I that couldn't be more true. And it's an emotional thing taking the life of an animal. And, you know, to Jake's credit, you know, in that video, I mean, that's a tough situation to, Mm -hmm. to be, be there and see that up close and and document that. Mm -hmm. But it's a, and that's, yeah. I mean, that's the other thing too, is that they are documenting that. And, you know, I think we saw in that, in that video, you know, there's some people are like, turn the camera off and you know what? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, there is that. Mm-hmm. They're showing, though, at the same time, a very real aspect of hunting. Yep. And, you know, then there's there's the aspect of like, oh, well, you know, why are you bringing video cameras out there anyway? And mm-hmm. it's also hard to deny the fact that those guys have probably introduced tons of people mm-hmm. to hunting. So, you know, just, just by way of what they're right. doing on YouTube right. and things like mm-hmm. that. So you've got, oof. Yeah. No, it's it's an interesting thing because, you know, all all of what we're talking about right now isn't what you want someone to ever go through but the fact of it is you know we're sitting here with people who've been hunting for the collectively you know a lot of hunting experience around this table today and everyone here has experienced this at least once Mm -hmm. and it's something that's going you know likely going to happen and the fact of the matter is that hunting is you're taking the life of an animal and that's not the end goal in that but it's uh it's something that is part of it and i think needs to be handled correctly and with respect you know, to that animal. So, and I can understand the position of the, of the state on, on the, I guess the practice, right? Mm-hmm. You can't it's dispatch. Kind of, it's the position they have to be. Correct. Take. And it's not, mm-hmm. it's not that I'm going to sit and argue till I'm blue in the face. Like, Oh, how could you, right. you know, inhibit that? It's, it's to prevent risk of, risk of loopholes. Correct. Or, you know, yeah. or, or start. people starting to bend it and flex it, but understand yeah. the position of the, the compassionate hunter mm-hmm. who dreads that position to be in. Yeah, it's going to be an expeditious dispatch, you know, for me personally. So, most of the time, like anytime I've found where there's something that is a rule like that or a law that's that's kind of like, ah, man, it's too bad that it's so cut and dry or like black and white like that because there's all these situations, you know, why couldn't they do that? I find myself getting less mad at the people who made the rule and more just mad at people in general because you're like, I'm mad at people in general. That there's the fact that we have to have one of these, right? Because if we didn't have it, right, there would be idiots who abused it. Yes. Or if we had it and we tried to have all these stipulations as to like you know our exceptions, there would still be dumb people who somehow bend the rules where they're like, oh well, I thought that deer didn't look too good, so I finished it off for Correct. it at three a.m. and it's yeah. kind of like, <laughs> like people I like brought so, my spotlight yeah. By, yeah, by, <laughs> by the lights of my Buick LeSabre. There it was. So, yeah, and it's like it's like oh yeah. man, like we don't yeah. help ourselves. Like That's the actually... human humankind does not help ourselves in so many situations, and it's like ah. It's killer. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of times, too, you know that the people who even made the law or the rule, even they're kind of like, yeah, uh, well, yeah. we wish we didn't have to do that. Yes. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. exactly. I think that's probably the case with every rule. I was going to say, man, yeah. that's all laws, I right? wish yep. I didn't have to do this. I wish people would just get it. Yeah. But alas. 
And that, that brings up like trailing with dogs too. That's another thing where a lot of states have different laws on that for a number of different reasons. I know friends of mine in the South that they trail with dogs. So, you know, an, an animal that is taken that has a poor visual blood trail to a hound is, well, that's no match. And right, a, yeah. good, a good friend of mine just recovered a buck that he actually put a good shot on, uh, did not bleed well. Last week, used a hound, found the dog. Legal. Yeah. Uh, my home state of Minnesota, absolutely illegal. To track with dogs? Yes. Mm-hmm. And why, I guess, what would be the way that somebody could, like, be doing something bad by uh, if you were, I think they're assuming guess, that you're going to you're gonna track with dogs before the shot. Yeah. Oh, and that, yeah. I, I think, is, yep. if I had to guess, yeah. the... You know, and I guess, when I was thinking about it, I was thinking after, like, a person may be more inclined to take a poor shot knowing, like, mm. hey, this isn't the best shot, or I, I can't dog. see, I've got dogs you know, but I've got a dog, and I'll, I'll find here, it tomorrow. I'll track mm-hmm. them down. Interesting. Yeah, it, I don't know. A, I'd be maybe we should right. And ask then there's the Minnesota and then there's, DNR about that. And then at the same time, you know that there's all these people who have hounds, and most of them are just thinking like, I I have hounds because I love dogs. I yep. love training the dogs. I love the having the dog with mm-hmm. me on my hunt. You know, they're like they're not doing anything wrong. Yeah. But because some yahoo out there yeah. was going to use in the the incorrect way or in an inhumane way or mm-hmm. unethical way, then you know everybody's kind of screwed over. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's the tricky part of trailing is sometimes it gets a little... Yeah, those dogs are pretty... I, I've never been on a... I've read about them mm-hmm. and uh, probably could have used one a handful of times, but uh, they're pretty interesting. From what I know, you know, they'll basically... They can tell you via, you know, how they are acting or signaling to you, like, hey, we're going to find this deer, or sometimes they're like, call off the chase, like, we're not going to find this deer. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. A little five-month-old puppy uh, the other day was out. We were out wandering around, and she started, she got real perked up about something, started kind of like doing her slow walk over. She ended up finding a dead dead deer. No kidding. Uh, That's wild. Well, we were, uh, we were out walking. Actually, I, so we were out walking in a similar area that you mm-hmm, guys were. Yep. It was it was right before the deer got picked up, so I, it, it was the same deer. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. We but it's still out, cool to see it. Out going around, all yeah. of a sudden, boom, laser yep. focus. Yep. It's kind of cool. That is very uh, neat. I didn't, yeah, I didn't. I didn't try and show her anything. I was just yeah. There you have it, though. Dogs crazy. I think we covered a lot on difficult blood trails. Difficult blood trails equals also sometimes difficult conversations and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know some wild stories out there. It's really it's one of those topics that like there's probably a hundred more. Yeah. Oh, thousands geez. of more things yeah, we talk we didn't, about. We didn't even like get into the technique of following uh, a blood trail. Oh my trail gosh, yeah, that's that. right. Like yeah. Yeah. Scratching the surface. Maybe yeah. a part two coming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's just so many variables. You know, it's like you know, what was the weapon? What's the time of year? You know, what's yeah. what's the temperature? Where do you think it was? I mean, yeah. oh my god. And there's so yeah. many different like takes on technique. Like, well, no, you got to work in circles. Or yeah. well, no, you circle. Do you not circle? It's like don't ever circle. You and, shouldn't do that. Yeah, and so I think that you're going to get a lot of like regional dialects, so to speak, on what is the appropriate means of effectively trailing. And I think a lot of it comes down to the down to the hunter and his understanding or her understanding of quarry and, and terrain. You know, I treat cha- you know chasing whitetails different depending on where I am, what what kind of water or what kind of food or what kind of known bedding area is there. Mm. Um, and like the guys at the hunting public said, think like a deer. And you got to kind of put yourself into that mindset too when you're tracking them after the shot even before mm-hmm. too. But uh, that helps a lot. We should put out a uh, – this is the formal – is it a request? I don't even know what the word is for it. Listeners out there, though, if you want to hear a part two on this, maybe we'll dive into some more stuff. Why don't you uh, 
follow up with us on uh, on Instagram at Vortex Nation Podcast. But we can dive in. How about for now? Maybe I know that there's a million things we could keep going into, but for now we dive into last calls. Cool. See if we pick it up on a part two later. Sounds good. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Can I have three last calls? I was going to have two actually. So <laughs> yeah, I think that's okay today. I think that's okay today. One would be, and maybe this will be part of what we could dovetail into in a part two as well, is going to be a question to Mr. Ryan Muckenhern. He's going to ask, so you mentioned bullets. You've switched from explosive bullets, apparently, to bullets that expand. I don't even know how to explain it, but I'm curious just, like, as a quick last call version of this conversation, what kind of, like, a bullet do you look for in a I'm gonna, hunting bullet. I'm going to no. back up just a touch. I'm, we're not talking explosive like exothermic reaction. Like chem- <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah. We're, we're talking, talking about like shattering. Thin-jacketed, thin thin-based bullets for rapid expansion. And I, I won't mention a, uh, a brand specifically, but, but that style of bullet to a heavily bonded bullet. I'm often, my hunting partners will often uh, accuse me of over-bulleting my game. And so now I, I shoot a lot of homogenous copper bullets, like a single metal bullets by, or, uh, you know, what these new kind of non-toxic bullets are. They're very tough. Or I shoot a bullet with a uh, partition style design or a mechanical bond in the bullet mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that I'm somewhat guaranteeing myself at least 60% weight retention. And in the case of a lot of the um, homogenous metal bullets, you're getting 100% weight retention or plus minus a few, you know, percentage points from that. Can you say that in terms of people who just buy them in boxes of 20? He's, yeah. What Ryan's talking is about is like a polymer hammer, tip? Yeah, when he's talking about the bonded bullets, he's talking about the bond between the copper jacket and the lead inner core in the bullet. Oh, right? okay. it's essentially, it, it, it's, it's just a way of holding that bullet together yeah. gotcha. in a more solid one-piece style. So now to mention brands that are really good at doing this, Nosler's Acubond, Nosler's Partition, Nosler's E-Tip bullet, which is a homogenous metal bullet, which I really like, uh, Hornady's GMX, which mm-hmm. is a homogenous, bu- homogenous bullet, their ELDX, their interlock and their interbond, and then I shoot a lot of Barnes bullets. That is actually my my preferred big game bullet is the Barnes TTSX specifically. Cool. I've used those Acubonds quite a bit. That's been a good bullet. That GMX, that's what I shot that buck with this last year. Swift Scirocco. Yep, that's a good bullet. The one you don't hear a lot about. Mm-hmm. It's a good bullet. Yeah. But guaranteed to, or I'm not, there's no guarantees, predisposing you to the, the highest likelihood of being able to break bone and then continue through to break more bone, and then hopefully exit the animal. That's hmm. the best case scenario. Okay. And and I guess my last call, if I if I can make it now, sure, uh, would be before taking the shot, consider the consequences, and then examine the situation and examine the outcome from like the worst case scenario. When I hunt now, and and I'll say this to just about anybody, I focus on breaking an animal down from like a, a mechanical standpoint, if I break both shoulders or at least one shoulder on a deer and then get into the, into the vitals, it's not going to be able to run very far because it, I've taken away its ability to actually physically motivate. So I'm a shoulder shooter and it's because of that deer that- With, I, a, with a gun, though, you're talking yeah, about. Correct. With yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With yeah. a gun. I'm a shoulder shooter with a gun because of that deer that I almost lost. That huh. surprises me, though, with the potential for meat loss. It, it's- I would rather lose two pounds of grind than 80 pounds of animal and then let something go to waste. Fair enough. Very interesting. My second one, and I actually, my second one was we talked a lot, we've talked a lot about whitetail hunting, I think, here, because a lot of us are whitetail hunters and we're in Wisconsin, things like that. 
but I'd be curious. I don't know if Paul maybe for his last call could tell a sweet blood, blood tracking <laughs> western hunting. I can, I can give you one that's a little bit maybe different. Guide I, Idaho hunting story. Yeah, I think I've got a good one for you. When you brought this topic up, it occurred to me because it it definitely does stick in my head as a as a really interesting blood trail. And it was uh, I was guiding an elk hunter. Uh, who also happened to have a bear tag at the same time. And we tagged out on an elk very early in the hunt, second day, I think it was. And so after we took care of the elk and then we were able to bear hunt. And we were we were stalking along a rocky spine of rock. And I spotted up ahead of us a very distinctive black thing laying under a tree about 200 yards ahead of us. Pulled the binos up and it was it was obviously a big black bear all rolled up in a ball. And he was laying right down on the base of a big pine tree. So we fell off the backside of the spine of rock, crept up to him, got right up over him. Still couldn't tell which, which end of the bear was front or back. He was literally, his nose was burrowed into his body, and he just looked hmm. like a great big ball of fur. And uh, so I had the hunter get ready to shoot, pack down, rifle on it. All I mean, he was only about 100, maybe 100 yards away tops. And uh, got him ready and whistled a couple times. Bear wouldn't get up. Finally grabbed a small rock, threw it, landed right near the bear. He jumped up on his feet, boom, the guy shot, and the bear immediately went barreling downhill, you know, high speed, full speed going down through. It was, a, it was a pine forest. It was all like pine needles and pine duff down it. And uh, asked him how he felt the shot broke, and he thought it was, it was good. You know, as soon as the bear jumped, you could sort of see front to back. You could see the vitals, and, you know, in theory, he put it right through the lungs. Well, we started slowly following that track, and there was very little blood. And, of course, with a bear, that's not untypical because you have, you have big, long, thick fur. And we talked about a lot of times with rifle hunting, that blood trail is slow initially. And, and you know, on a bear, that, a lot of that blood can get soaked into that fur before it actually comes down and hits the ground. So followed it, followed it, followed it. Finally started getting little pin drops of blood, but very little. And probably went about a quarter of a mile, and it was down to nothing. Almost no blood at that point. And it, it finally got down to the point I was following the bear by foot scuffs and the pine needles. And one of the things you can do when you're tracking is you sort of you gain a sense of what an animal's stride is. That's how it, you know, a lot of times if you run out of blood, you start going off a stride on the animal. And so eventually I was following this bear by where he was, his paws were going down in the pine needles. But eventually he slowed down and he stopped running and now he was walking. And now a bear on pine needles and no blood leaves very, very, very little to go on. And it got down to what Ryan was talking about. Now I was sort of following based on instinct about which way that bear probably went. What was like the path of least resistance? Did, you know, was there a game trail that opened up that I thought he might have gone down? And it got down to the point, and now I'm, I'm literally crawling on hands and knees, going along very slowly, looking for any little scuff, trying to follow these, these trails. And I got into a big open area, and I was down and, and down to where I was just about ready to call it at that point. Just, you know, it was out. There was nothing about to jump into the sort of the big circle pattern where you start cutting big, wide circles at further distances looking for something. And at the time, as a guide, I was wearing a cowboy hat on, and I was down on my hands and knees, and I heard something just plop, plop, plop on the top of my hat. And it just it took me like a second to kind of dawn and realize what it was. And I looked up, and the bear was 40 feet above me in a pine tree, and he, he was watching me under him. And he started <laughs> fidgeting a little bit then and moving with me under him. And it shook just a few drops of blood off his fur, and it landed on my hat. And if that blood hadn't hit my hat, I would not have seen that bear in that tree. I literally would have got up at that point, 
and started cutting big circles at great distances to find them. And so ultimately we got the bear, you know, got that honor down there. We shot him out of the tree, killed him and had him. But uh, true story. That very, is, very interesting that blood is trail. so nice. That is correct. Oh, Thank you so much. <laughs> if, you stole it. I oh, also think man. I saw that in the movie Predator. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Correct. Which, which Paul actually crazy. wrote and produced. Yeah. 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 Very so nice after movie. This it was about him. Wow. Finding yeah. the bear in the needle stack. Wow. With blood that on your hat. That is the most. That is the most. A couple of drops. That is the most cowboy thing. That is. Yeah. That's, cow- what you, that's what you wear a cowboy God. I was going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. I may switch. That's why yeah. you wear a hat. <laughs> I've been doing it wrong the whole time. <laughs> Incredible. Well, th- uh, awesome. Thanks. God, yeah. Anyway, it was a hey, good What do you one. got, Eric? You got a good uh, follow? Yeah, thanks. Anything cool? <laughs> <laughs> nope. I cannot follow that up. The only thing. <laughs> I'm set up for failure now. (laughs) (laughs) The only thing I would say is, you know, like going back to, you know, when you shoot a deer and you do, or whatever it is, any animal, and you have a bad experience where you're not able to recover it right away, there's little things you can do to that that might go a long ways. Like, for instance, I always think back to that one that I touched on earlier, the the deer that went, you know, about two and a half miles. Had to give up at some point, right? You know, you got to get back to your daily life. But if possible, if if reasonably possible, for example, I could have easily after work gone out and just done a little like 30-minute walk in those areas, look for crows, look for any kind of sign that might suggest that there is a dead animal there. I might have been the one that found that deer rather than having to rely on the fishermen who just, you know, props to them to actually reach out to me and not take it for themselves. You know, so there are little things that you can do, like looking for crows, just that extra effort that might be the difference in at least that closure for you or that kind of, like we talked about, that's going to be something then that you think about for the rest of your hunting lifetime. You know, you're, mm-hmm. you'll be think you don't think about the ones that you, you successfully harvested, you, you know, all stuff like that. You, you, yep. what beats you up is the ones that, you know, you probably killed and that went to oh, the yeah. That's yeah. terrible. Yeah. So yeah. laying, laying somewhere. No, that's a good one. I'm going to, I'm going to hit everybody with about 19 last calls just so I can try and somewhat compete with Paul's. Number one, even if you think you missed, trail that animal up. You might be surprised. I mean, even, you know, looking at uh, Ryan's situation with the muzzleloader there, you know, one of those things where like, man, this deer was so close. How could I have missed? I've looked around. I haven't found any blood. You know, number two with that one, trust your gut. You know, in your heart, you knew that you'd hit that deer. You just needed to sort out exactly what had happened. And with some persistence, you found that blood trail and recovered that deer. Number two, and this is more rifle hunting, it's always good to have, you know, that last reference of what happened. You know, often, oftentimes you have like a mental snapshot in your mind's eye, you know, when that uh, impact took place, whether it was an uh, arrow or a gun hit. But I had two situations, actually both blacktails, where the deer reacted upon impact. And the last thing I saw was actually, you know, of course, you got a rifle that's recoiling. But I would have swore the deer went, you know, to the left. And so that's where I took my search and actually, you know, I'm like, what the heck, dude, I know I hit this deer. He went this way and, uh, it actually had gone the exact opposite direction. And honestly, Mm. had I started just going the other way, very short blood trails, you know? So sometimes your mind plays tricks. Sometimes your mind plays tricks on you. Go slow. If if, If you've got a tough blood trail or you think you got one ahead of you, go slow. If you're lucky and fortunate enough to have somebody with you, have them stay at that last blood until you find new blood. I think, I mean, probably we've all been guilty of it to some degree. You know, you get anxious. You want to find that next blood. Be patient. 
go slow, flag it out, carry flagging tape with you, brightly covered flagging tape. Actually, you know, I do two things now. I carry flagging tape, and I put my Onyx tracker on yep. as soon as I start tracking, and those can tell you two yeah. Yeah. very important things. You know, the flagging tape is not only if you do need to come back the next day, it gives you, like, a for sure visual starting point, but you can sort out, you know, Paul, you're talking about, like, okay, well, where, what's this deer doing or what's this bear yeah. doing? How is it using the terrain? And you can kind of look up right away if you've been flagging that blood trail out pretty consistently, you know, or maybe even a vector that that animal is taking. And then, right. of course, with the Onyx, you have it in the palm of your hand, everything yep. that's happening, and you can look at the terrain that lies ahead yeah. as well. Those pins on there, if tree is sub-MOA, those pins are like two MOA dots. They they kind of cover up a lot, and then when you're actually on the ground, you're kind of like, well, I'm 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 underneath a big red pin, but I don't know which mm-hmm. tree this is. Mm-hmm. It's covering yeah. up a lot of <laughs> a lot of tree. <laughs> totally, and I and I guess I'll finish with uh, another quick story, even though I'm being a little bit long winded with this one. This one, it's just such an important topic. Now, but I was hunting Nebraska with a with a guy. He had shot a buck. I think it was probably about a 300-yard shot. He actually hit it low and back. And actually, if you were just watching it, just the way the deer reacted, you're like, got him. And then the deer walked off slowly. With the optics, we were able to see the impact, kind of like, oh, okay, not the best shot, you know. We got up. There was snow on the ground. We got up to where we knew the deer had been. You know, there was multiple sets of tracks around, you know, a lot of deer in the area, not finding any blood and this is where you know kind of goes back to going slow and looking for for details the the two guys that i was with were just kind of like charging it you know they're like trying to find this deer and you know and like i said i'm guilty of not going slow enough but i actually found where the deer had been bleeding very little and ryan was talking earlier about those drops and those drops of blood were dropping straight down and melting tiny little silos into the snow where the blood actually wasn't visible on the surface of the the snow. But until I brushed it away with my finger, I actually got down to where the blood had like, you know, cooled and coagulated. And I'm talking like very like maybe the size of a standard number two pencil eraser head and and, and even, even smaller. But by that was able to ascertain, okay, the deer was standing there. This is his track. I found a couple other spots where he had bled like that. And then eventually, you know, went up that ridge line, caught up with the deer. He was still standing and shot him. Nice. Yeah, so that's a good one. That's a good one. Awesome. Good stuff. Wow. Yeah. Hey, that was our best last call around yet. I think that's so. That's all I got. Yeah. Good. That's all I had to say I'm, about that. I'm, ex- I'm, ex- <laughs> I'm exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Well, hey, how about that? We'll we'll finish it out. And uh, thanks everybody as always for listening. Like we said, hit us up on uh, at Vortex Nation Podcast on Instagram. On this, uh, we have these kind of tiles, you know, for each episode when it comes out. Let us know what you thought about it. Let us know if you want to hear maybe a part two. We might dive into some more stuff. Until then, we'll finish it off on the classic bye. 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 Goodbye. All right, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hit that subscribe button so you can always stay up to date on the latest happenings over here at the Vortex Nation podcast. Leave us a review or comment down below. We want to hear what you have to say about the show. Maybe what you like, maybe what you didn't like. So that way we can make these podcasts as good as they can be. You can also follow us on Instagram at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'll be posting about each episode released. So that way you can go back, find these things. 
maybe grab a little nugget of information that you could take with you to the range, out in the field, or uh, maybe to the kitchen if we're talking about some good food. So again, everybody, thanks and happy hunting and shooting. We appreciate it. Have a good one.